0: Hello, greetings, thanks for your interest in Spiritual Matters. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in the west side of Los Angeles. I'm sure you've noticed that Christian faith and practice is full of a lot of words and ideas that are thrown around very often. Things like salvation, justification, sanctification, church, worship, things like that. These are words that are used over and over again, and everybody seems to use them in Christianity. But how often do we stop to make sure that we know what these things actually mean? After all, how would you define things like salvation or justification, sanctification, things like that? You probably have some idea about what these words mean and what they involve, but it might be very hard to kind of put words to that. It's very hard pressed for many Christians to provide a clear, simple, basic definition of the core idea of a lot of these things that we mention. Now, many may critique a focus on words and meaning, But Christianity is itself based on the revelation of Jesus as the Word made flesh. And the basic meaning of these terms tend to unlock profound, compelling understandings of uh, how they relate to the faith. Let's talk about a term today that is used not just even in Christian faith and practice, but tends to be used a lot in society in general. Spiritual. Everyone seems to be talking about being spiritual. A lot of people want to say, hey, I'm spiritual but not religious. Uh, Even if participation in Christianity seems to be down according to all the statistics, uh, interest in spirituality remains quite high. All kinds of practices from all sorts of different sources are all covered under this term spiritual. And even in Christianity, spiritual is used frequently, often to denote something greater, higher, superior, in contrast to this world or the flesh, and unfortunately, as a way to dismiss the reality of some things. And so we do well to spend some time looking in Scripture, uh, considering the word spiritual. So what is this word spiritual? Well, if you look up in the dictionary, its first definition is of or relating to the human spirit. And so spiritual in the New Testament is uh, the Greek term pneumatikos of or relating to the spirit. And so yes, spiritual does have a connection with our soul or spirit, but that itself will beg a question. What is this soul or spirit in us? And that's a very difficult question, a very tricky question, because to attempt to understand the spiritual nature of mankind ends in frustration. The terminology is not used very consistently, and few concepts are, are explained in any detail. But a couple trends can be seen. One will involve what is most often deemed the suke. In the Greek, uh, we can call it, it's a psyche, and the word psyche is just taking Greek suke and putting in English letters. The psychical, the life force. So in First Corinthians fifteen forty four through forty five, um, quotes Genesis two seven in the Greek that man becomes a living suke when the breath of life is given to him. That's the Hebrew neshama. And this is called the natural body, really the psychical body. It's a body of or relating to the Suke, uh, the one that's empowered or enlivened by the Suke, the uh, uh, life force. And we can see this also uh, present in first Kings seventeen, seventeen in Job 33 and Job thirty three in verse four. We might consider this the life force which allows for existence. It's something not unique to humans. The neshama, the breath of life, was also given to the animals in Genesis 7:22, All things at the breath of life in Genesis, Psalm 150 and verse 6 are told to praise God. The Hebrew word nefesh is also used for many things involving soul, but nefesh is a very manly frustrating term in terms of any consistent meaning. It can refer to anything from the soul to a corpse, although it is most often used of the spirit that animates life. It's hard to identify one source that kind of explains all uses of nefesh. A lot of times, nefesh is translated in the Greek by suke, even in terms of animals. So like the uh, life of all flesh is in the blood in Leviticus 1711, that's talking there about the uh, the nefesh. Now we're going to talk about the nefesh suke as the psyche, for lack of a better term. Because the psyche certainly includes the life force, that animating energy in man and beast. It's something that God has given in Genesis 2.7 and Job 33.3 3 and 4. And it might well be that there is psychical energy beyond uh creatures in the creation itself uh might be behind claims of the existence of aura or energies, but it's not explicitly revealed, and we're not given any justification or attempt to try to control or manipulate them. But the psyche is more than just some kind of impersonal energy. Uh, Jesus is made sorrowful in his psyche in Matthew 2638. Uh, when Mary says, My soul doth magnify the Lord in, in Luke 146, that's she says her, her psyche magnifies the Lord. Uh, In Revelation 18 and verse 14, uh, the psyche is able to to experience lust, even if in a vision. The psyche uh, experiences emotion, therefore it has to have some level of personality or something of the sort. It's not just an energy. There's more to it than that. So that's what we see about psyche. Now the other word that is often discussed in terms of spiritual is uh, pneuma the soul, or the pneumatical. And so when we were in 1 Corinthians 15, and 45, we talked about the natural body. He also talks about the, the, the spiritual bodies, There's the the psychikos body and the pneumaticos body. It's of or related to the pneuma, empowered or enlivened by the pneuma. Uh, and it comes from the new Adam, who is Jesus, who becomes a life-giving pneuma, or soul. Uh, pneumaticos is, in fact, the word that, as we said, translates into spiritual in our Bibles. Now, pneuma will often translate Hebrew ruach, And both of those terms have the original idea of wind or breath. We got the idea like in pneumonia, right? Uh, All pneumatology, all these uh, terms in in English that have "pneuma" in it tend to refer to either the spirit or uh, things involving the lungs or breathing. And John three and verse eight, Jesus talks about this: "As the wind blows, as it will, so it is with the spirit." Humans have a part of them which is pneuma, because Jesus sighs deeply in his pneuma in Mark eight twelve. 12. Paul was provoked in his pneuma in Acts seventeen sixteen. Apollos is fervent in pneuma in Acts eighteen and verse twenty five. Paul serves God in his pneuma in Romans one and verse nine. He encourages Christians to be fervent in their pneuma in Romans twelve and verse eleven. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 8, in the Greek, it's the pneuma that goes back to the God who gave it, and Jesus gave up the go- when give up the ghost, the old King James way of putting it. Luke 23:46, when he died on the cross, he gives up his pneuma. Now, if it weren't for 1 Corinthians 15 and Hebrews 4:12, which talks about the division of Suche and pneuma, we might assume that the, su- the psyche and the pneuma are similar things, if not the same, uh, but they are distinguished, and they're distinctive in each in, each in their own way. So what is that distinction that would exist between Suke and Numa? Well, it might help to understand the difference between them by looking at the dimensions of Numa beyond the humanity. So in John 4:24, uh, Jesus declares that God is Numa. In fact, the only thing we're told about the divine nature that it is Numa, it is spirit. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is ruach or Numa throughout the Old and New Testaments. Uh, other beings are spoken of in the similar way. Uh, demons, unclean spirits, that spirit there is pneuma in Mark 1.23, Luke 9.42, Acts 16.16, and many other passages. Now since these demonic beings are likely associated with the angels of the devil in Matthew 25 and verse 41, it's reasonable to conclude that angels also are pneuma, or spiritual, in that sense. And unless the use of spirit versus angel in Acts 23 and 8, when Luke talks about them, would speak to the contrary, which is probably not the case god is pneuma made man his image and therefore man has an aspect of himself which is pneuma and it's logical to conclude therefore uh, that the god's image in us is the presence of the pneuma genesis 1 26-27 john 4 24. we don't see any passages suggesting animals have the pneuma even though they do have the psyche uh, pneuma experiences what we deem emotion as a psyche but if we were to identify the place of consciousness which marks mankind as unique It would have to be in the pneuma, not the psyche, which exists beyond humanity. Now, essentially, one or both would suffuse the whole body, especially the psyche. Um, That which we deem as ghost, the disembodied spirit of a person after death, is called a pneuma in Luke 24, 37, 39. Or phantasma, uh, what they think Jesus is when he's crossing the water in Matthew 14, 26 fourteen twenty-six, Mark 6, 49. And so, by faith, we accept that we each have a suke and a numa. We know that the psyche is a life force and the numa, our soul, which goes back to God. Now, how they might interact, how they relate with the physical body, um, is completely unrevealed and beyond our understanding. We're not going to go find that in some kind of dissection or anything of the sort. Yet neither we nor demonic beings are God, which is important to remember because it means God is spirit, God is numa, but not all spirit or numa is God. And so as God is pneuma, that which is pneumaticos, or spiritual, will relate to that which is of God or of his spirit and his nature. And so we have the use of spiritual in certain things. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, uh, when Paul is Christianizing, so to speak, the account of the exodus of wilderness, he talks about uh, all the fathers eating the same spiritual food and the spiritual dr- uh, drink the rock which followed them, which is Christ. It's influenced by Deuteronomy 8.3 that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and, and the idea from John 6 that it, Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God, and so the spiritual food and drink is the word of God, which is now manifest in Jesus. It also refers to that which God gives or facilitates through his spirit, as we're going to see. But there are things that are pneumatical, that are of spiritual, and work against God's Purposes, uh, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places in ephesians 6 12 uh, are our true enemy these are the powers and principalities which are some kind of spiritual beings uh, made good ostensibly but who now uh, with their free will have elected to work against god's purposes at least in some way and so the pneuma the soul relates to god spiritual beings and the soul that god has given us made in his image and so that which is Of the Spirit, or which is spiritual, will directly relate to things that God gives through the Spirit. So there's spiritual gifts. So in Romans 1 11, 1 Corinthians 12 1 and 14 1 uh, talks about spiritual uh, gifts, the pneumaticos, pneumaticoi gifts. Their strengths or abilities to accomplish things by the Spirit, which included speaking in tongues, prophesying, certain forms of knowledge, healing, and faith. Uh, the one who would be able to utilize those abilities in the first century would be known as spiritual in First Corinthians 14 and verse 37. Now that which comes from God and is spiritual would not come from this world or be worldly, and therefore many times things defined as spiritual do contrast with what is physical. The law is called spiritual Romans 7 verse 14 because it sources from God, but also because it's not the invention of man, it's not a worldly set of laws. Gentiles have been made partakers of spiritual things from the Jewish Christians, and therefore it is right for the Jewish Christians to partake of earthly things of the Gentiles in Romans 15:27, which would be uh, monetary relief. And the spiritual things were the Abrahamic promise covenants and the Christ himself in Romans 9, 4 through 5. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16, there's a long discourse where Paul contrasts uh, the natural man with his natural understanding and the man who gets his understanding from the spirit, the spiritual understanding, the spiritual man. Um, it's very instructive. The the spiritual knowledge comes from God. It's empowered and enlightened by the spirit. But it's held in contrast from what can be known by human wisdom or innovations. It's also seen in Colossians 1-9. And in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, this leads to this contrast. I could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal, as worldly people, because they did not have an understanding of the things which are discerned by the Spirit. Paul and the apostles preached Jesus and thus served in spiritual things, and they had their right to reap monetary reward, which are carnal or physical things from them, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 11. In Galatians 6 and verse 1, one who is spiritual should restore a person who is in trespass. Who that could be? Well, It's somebody directed by the Spirit of God, you know, walking by the Spirit in Romans 8, 4 through 11. But it's in contrast to a person who is worldly or carnal who wouldn't do such a thing, who wouldn't want to restore such a one, or who has been straying. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul elaborates further and he explains it in chapters 1 through 3. uh, The election of the Christian, his predestination, his salvation, his justification, his sanctification. All these things that God did uh, for the Christian in love, grace, and mercy. And that's above and beyond the physical blessings of life, health, prosperity, and things of that sort. In Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, Paul talks about singing spiritual songs, and they're having the substance of what is made known in the Spirit, but it's a contrast also with worldly songs. And in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, Christians are as a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrificing, and they reflect God's work in making all Christians one in the Spirit. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 2, absolutely. But this language of a spiritual house and spiritual offerings is a contrast to the physical Aaronic Levitical priesthood and the physical offerings that they sacrificed. A contrast brought out in Hebrews 7-9. through 9. Now, spiritual offerings would include acts involving the physical realm, things like benevolence, presence, giving, suffering loss, or such things. But the reason why we would do them comes from our association with God in Christ through His Spirit. And so, throughout the Bible, spiritual relates to God who is pneuma, and thus that which God gives to the spirit often contrasts in the ways of the world, those who live according to what God has made known in the spirit. So, what do we say then about the spiritual? There's three specific senses behind the spiritual in the Bible. There's that which relates to God and his spirit. What he gives through the spirit, often contrasted with the ways of the world, the flesh or the physical, or those who are empowered to live by what he has given in the spirit, is one. The second is that which relates to the pneuma of mankind, the present life or the life to come, and that which relates to other beings God created who are also pneumaticoi, who are spiritual beings, including beings who have turned against God and his purposes, uh, referring to those thing, beings who don't do the will of God, and also those who do the will of God. Now, a lot is left unrevealed, and that really shouldn't surprise us because the heavenly realm is beyond our perception in the flesh, and all we can understand is what we accept on faith from what God has revealed to the prophets and in Jesus, and that's actually not a lot indeed. But it would seem that the spiritual, as used in the world, would be aligned with what we see in Scripture, right? A lot of the same ways it's used, but it's really only a superficial agreement. Yes, the spiritual quote-unquote, is in contrast to the physical, but that doesn't mean that what is spiritual is automatically higher or greater. And also it doesn't deny the substantive reality of the spiritual. A lot of times people talk about spiritual things as if they don't have any existence in reality, which is a very bad way of looking at it, because they do have existence, they just cannot be perceived in this realm. Yes, the spiritual does refer to things beyond our perception, that which would emanate from and through the spiritual realm. But all things are not positive. A lot of people think anything that's spiritual is going to be better than what's physical, but there's a lot of things in the spiritual realm, a lot of dark, evil things that uh, are very evil and bad and terrible indeed and should not be messed with. The spiritual refers to the part of humanity beyond our physical perception, the soul. Now, not everything deemed spiritual, though, will build up the soul. Many of them will, in fact, hinder the soul. It's sorcery and um, engaging in the dark arts. Um, even, in fact, trying to cultivate the soul without any regard to the body or to physical things can be detrimental. Uh, asceticism can be detrimental Colossians too, um, things of that nature. So spirituality can be good, but spirituality can also be demonic. Because there is a spirituality which derives from God's spirit. It cultivates his fruit. It empowers believers to follow God in Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 2. It provides that in, in insight. In Galatians 5, 20 through 24 the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control. Uh, in Ephesians 3, 14-21, God in his spirit will strengthen us in our spirit to, to accomplish such things. But there's also alternate demonic spiritualities, which promote sensuality, reckless behavior, and they interact with forces of darkness in ways which work against uh, God's purposes in Christ. These are the works of the flesh. These are the the cosmic forces of darkness in Ephesians 6.12. And these are the doctrines of demons in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. And so we need to be careful about any spirituality uh, that would work against God's purposes in Jesus and his kingdom. Because they're self-willed. They're demonic in origin. And we should not mess with those spiritual forces of evil. Instead, we need to stand firm in God's strength to participate in Jesus' kingdom in the church of the glory of God, to entrust ourselves to God and Christ through his spirit to overcome those forces of darkness that we may obtain the resurrection of life. We again thank you for joining us today. Hopefully you've benefited by our exploration here of everything involving the spiritual. There's a lot there. If you'd like to talk more about it or see more about it, we encourage you to find us online uh adventure christ.org you can also check us out on social media if you i can be of encouragement in any way please let me know contact me through my website diverbal vitae.com. that's www.de ecom and we hope and pray that you have a blessed day